I think there is some hope in the fact that although Joe falls off the wagon after his first attempt, that he he keeps going. He he finds his way back. Of wine and roses. Welcome to episode 46 of The Recovery Show. We're continuing to record our episodes live. If you are online now, you will hear the raw, unedited form of this episode, and will be able to interact with us in the chat room. Check the website for the time of the next recording and join us. This episode is brought to you by Diane and Becky. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Diane and Becky, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today is our movie roundtable, jointly recorded with The Recovered Podcast. We all just finished watching the movie Days of Wine and Roses, and we're going to discuss our reactions and understanding of it. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the movie. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Swetha and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you today, Kelly? I'm fantastic, thank you. Great. And next to Kelly is co-host Spencer. How are you today, Spencer? Actually, Spencer's at the very opposite end of the table from Kelly, but Spencer's good. Okay. And we have two special guests today, Mark and Anna. Anna, how are you today? Doing great. Glad to be here. Good to hear it. And Mark, how are you doing? Doing great, Swetha. Super, super excited about being here. <laughs> great. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the movie Day of Wine and, Days of Wine and Roses. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. And I think we're going to start off reading just a really brief description that we found on IMDb. Just a couple sentences that gives a... a Description of the movie, um, Days of Wine and Roses, it says, An alcoholic falls in love with and gets married to a young woman whom he systematically addicts to booze so they can share his passion together. Uh, as I said, my name is Swetha, and uh, let's, let's talk about the movie. Actually, I would just like to take a moment here to say that whoever wrote this description needs some Al-Anon because it's supposed to be you can't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. <laughs> uh, you can systematically addict someone to booze, can't cure it, you can't control it. Just Excellent pointing that point. Out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so I think one of the first discussion questions we have is uh, how did you feel this movie related to your experience? Um, Spencer, would you like to start us I... off? thought you might look down in my direction. Well, you, I was <laughs> thinking you first. I kind of moved, sure. attracted her Great attention. Minds, right? the, you know, ooh, shiny emotion over there. Yeah, okay. Um, so at the beginning, I wasn't connecting with it, really. Um, but when it got to the point where, and I'm getting ahead, but when it got to the point where he was trying to be sober and she was still drinking, um... I was getting some major triggers there uh, because I was connecting it 
back to my own experience with the you know the, the my loved one um, when she was drinking and um, like I could almost smell her breath during that alcoholic kiss mm-hmm. um, it just was really strong um, and the you know it didn't show it didn't show a lot of his experience with but enough of his, his experience you know trying to convince her to get sober um, you know, and it, I mean, a lot of it felt that part of it really c- I connected with. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's great. I actually personally really related to the fr- first part of it when they were, uh, <laughs> when they were getting together, I remember everybody was like, huh, that was a very weird way to get together. And I thought, really, that's like how I met all my boyfriends. <laughs> um, it was like, you started this. She, I remember her kind of starting off a little bit cold towards him and then, and he says something awful about her. And initially she like gets really defensive and then she's like, oh my God, he might be right. I might be exactly that awful. And then she's like, this person really knows the true me. I must go be with him. I was like, oh yeah, boy meets girl, boy insults girl, Swetha starts dating boy. So (laughs) yeah, that's totally how most of my relationships went down. I totally related to that. Um, How about, how about you, Mark? Did you? Well, Swetha, I, I related to um, so many different characters mm-hmm. in, in this film. And I understand exactly what you were saying, Spencer, was it's a little slow go at the beginning. I've seen the movie before, so I knew that if we could be patient with it, the story would ring ring through. Because, mm-hmm. it, it you know, the, the film was made, I believe, in 1962. And so it sort of has that Mad Men feel, but not as cool. You know? <laughs> it's, it's still no, pretty... No. Uh, cheesy in a lot of ways but i guess where i'd want to go anna is uh what i could relate to the most and that was pops oh that was kirsty's oh. father and there are points in the movie where kirsty i'm pronouncing that correctly I right so, and yeah. joe um the two alcoholics at this point move back home mm. to dry out and work on the farm and when they relapse, it takes place in a bedroom, uh-huh. and the father hears this and anxiously goes down the hall and knocks mm-hmm. on the door to find out what's going on. And quite frankly, I'm sure he knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't want to know that it's going on. Right. And so he does turn away. He knocks on the door, and he hears all the commotion and the laughing and the obvious drunkenness that's taking place Mm. inside the room and she tells his daughter tells him to go back to bed and he does Mm. because he doesn't really want to know Mm -hmm. until until she climbs in bed with him and it's he can no longer ignore the facts so i guess i in my codependent self Mm. i related with pops Mm -hmm. most profoundly yeah I see that's interesting because you know you're saying that the um that it seemed to have a slow start but um I related to Kirsty when she said um she was talking about you know how can you drink out of that bottle mm. um and even later in the in the movie when she refuses to acknowledge that she's an alcoholic because alcoholics are bums mm. and she she just doesn't see where they're at and I always had that attitude, you know, I, I thought that, you know, alcoholics were people living on Skid Row drinking out of paper bags. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since I've been in Al-Anon and, and lived my life, I see that, um, 
alcoholism comes in all all kinds of shapes, colors, sizes, you know, socioeconomic status, and all of that. So um, I don't know. For me, that that caught my um, caught my attention. Hmm. What about you, Kelly? I I kind of have to go down Mark's route. There there were a couple of characters that I related to, but in the very beginning of the movie. Um, when Kirsty and Joe, yeah. yeah, when they, when they first move in together and he's, I mean, actually, I guess during their whole courtship, but he's trying to get her to loosen up a little bit and he keeps sort of like nudging her, pushing her to, to have a drink. Um, that, that really reminded me of my first long-term relationship. Um, I, I was like 17 when we first got in the relationship. I had never had a drink or a drug at that point in my life. And the guy that I started dating um, had been through rehab, I think maybe like four times already at that point. And he, you know, he was like all over the place. And so I remember that being sort of um, uh, kind of in, in a focus in our relationship is, you know, I, I think he, he sort of wanted to, he didn't want to use alone. And I noticed that that was kind of a theme later on in the movie. Mm. And so, so when we first started dating, he sort of encouraged me to, you know, expand my horizons. Um, but I, I could also relate to pop, um, in, in the moments later in the movie, when Joe is sober and he comes back and he's looking for Kirsty, mm -hmm. and the, the father is making all these excuses about, mm -hmm. Oh, she, she went out to a movie or, you know, he's trying to, to cover up her behavior and I know that I did that many times too. Um, so I, I feel like this is going to vary again, based on, based on who responds, but do you feel the movie focused more on the alcoholic experience or the codependent experience? Mark? Well, I don't think there's in my mind, any question that it focuses on the alcoholic behavior. We don't get to see too much of what's going on inside the codependence. Uh, it would be interesting to get to know Deb, Debbie, a little bit more. That's oh. the child. Mm -hmm. um, my goodness, what she's gone through mm -hmm. and what she must be faced with and all the fear that goes on. She's in the shadows. She's the perfect kid. She's the, she fits into so many codependent categories that it would be interesting to see some of that life through her eyes. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's all I've got. Spencer, you look like you had something, some thoughts. Well, I mean, I agree <laughs> that, that the, the focus is on the alcoholic experience. It's on the, you know, the sort of the descent into madness that, um, so I've been listening to this, um, AA speaker, uh, six part talk. I just finished it today. Took me like a week. Uh, and, uh, he talks at the beginning, near the beginning of his talk, he talks about how at the beginning, you know, drinking is just fun. We're having fun. We do more, we drink more, we have more fun. And we see that at the beginning of the movie, you know, they drink, they have fun. And he says, and then it becomes fun plus problems. And again, we saw that, that, you know, they were still having some fun, but there were some problems creeping in. He gets fired, but you know, they're still having fun. And she's, she's burning down the apartment. And, yeah. And then, and then it just becomes we. problems. Yes, you're right. That's... And then it just becomes problems. So she burns down the apartment. They end up homeless. Um, they have to move in with her father. Um, and then we see through the relapses how for him in particular, it just, 
it keeps getting every time it's worse. Um, and, uh, you know, and she's at the point, I think, where at the end of the movie, I felt like she was at the point where she didn't really want to be drinking, but she didn't want to be not drinking. Mm -hmm. She had lost the choice. Yeah. To drink. Yeah. She had lost the choice. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, it, it definitely, but, but like I said, there were definitely some, some spots in there where I was connecting, I was connecting with him as the husband when he was trying to be sober and, and trying to get her to stop drinking. And, you know, the decision that he has to make at the end of the movie, holy shit. I don't know if we want to give that away or not. But. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say right now. Say that? Um, well, technically, I didn't see the end of the movie. Because <laughs> 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 I thought there was got to be, a, there has to be at least 30 more minutes after that scene, right? No, it was apparently 30 seconds. I, anyway, that's what YouTube's for. Um, I thought that it, I mean, for me, I thought it really uh, blurred the difference between alcoholic and codependent. I, uh, I know that there's a lot of times that, like when I'm hanging out with people from AA where they're like, oh, you codependent, Al-Anon-Anon, and on, you know, Al-Aloonies, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll be in Al-Anon or an Al-Anon meeting or hanging out with my Al-Anon friends and I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, this is really typical of alcoholics. But then when I was watching this movie... I, I can tell you right now, I don't like the taste of alcohol, and the more I drink, the more disgusting it tastes to me. So that lasts maybe like four sips in, and I can't handle it anymore. But I could totally relate to a lot of the addictive behaviors of the alcoholic, like mm -hmm. um, when he's just so desperate to find his bottle of alcohol that he's smashing all these um, uh, flower vases in his father-in-law's house. Um, I can totally relate to being like, no, I have to call this person. I absolutely have to hear them say whatever it is. And I know it's not what I, what's good for me. And it feels wrong in so many ways, but nothing could stop me from doing whatever it is I needed to do. It was a codependent behavior. And, um, and so I could, man, I could totally relate on both ends. I, it just, for me, it blurred the line between alcoholic and, um, and codependent. And, uh, so I think the experience, I mean, I think the movie just showed how, how, uh, how similar the two of them were for me, mm -hmm. how it's not maybe that different to be an alcoholic versus being a codependent. Yeah. I have to agree with you, Swetha. Mm -hmm. I, I thought the exact same thing. I saw, I actually saw a lot of codependence, you know, like in one scene, uh, he starts crying and, um, it was earlier in the movie when his, he was drinking more than she was. And he starts crying and, oh, when, uh, oh, when yeah. he came in with a little girl and he woke up the, the little girl and, um, he starts crying and she goes and grabs a drink and starts drinking with him. I mean, to me, that was so codependent. Yeah. And then later in the movie, mm -hmm. it's the reverse, you know, she is begging him to come and drink with her. Mm -hmm. He is now finally sober mm -hmm. and what does he do he takes a drink because he wants to make her happy and mm -hmm. hold on to this relationship and so um i don't know i for yeah. me i saw a lot of codependence in the movie even though i think you could say that the obvious part of the movie was the alcoholism i saw a lot of the codependence in it yeah, mm -hmm. I have to side with the ladies on this one um you know i mean even just how the the whole thing begins you know she drinks because he tells her it's a good idea you know i mean how codependent is that mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean yikes you yeah. got a point there right 
Um, well, on that note, um, well, one of the questions we have is, what messages did you get from this movie about codependency? Did it equate codependency with love? Did it portray codependency as something that caused unhappiness? Both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both, because I think for each of them, it was, mm -hmm. you know, they thought it was about love. He wanted, you know, he wanted to join her because he loved her so much. Mm -hmm. And yet, eventually, I think he saw how damaging it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mark? Sure. Um, picking up on that, mm -hmm. you know, love can cure all. That was a theme that sort yes. of played through mm -hmm. uh, the movie quite a bit. And I think that's one of the, the myths that they were trying to dispel, actually, mm -hmm. um, is that it's, it's, it doesn't matter how much you love, the alcoholic will always choose the drink. Mm -hmm. And that one scene where he comes home drunk and he's angry with Kirsten, Kirsty and wakes up the baby and then he's full of remorse. Mm -hmm. He does love his child. But at that moment, I think he realized that he's going to choose choose the drink. Um, it was it, interesting, uh, a, one part of the movie, it was actually kind of a contrast between the two of them doing a nine step, that is making amends. Mm -hmm. Joe goes to Pops and starts to make amends. Mm -hmm. And he ha he actually comes to them, comes to him with money and a plan on how to do this. Mm -hmm. And he and he says, I need to do this not for you, but for me. Mm -hmm. The very next scene Kirsty comes home, mm -hmm. or, or comes home being away for a long time. She's mm -hmm. two days sober, and she's sorry. Mm -hmm. And what she wants is love. She what she mm -hmm. wants is be, is to not be lonely. Mm -hmm. And he says, "Well, will you go to AA?" And she wasn't willing to go that far. She wanted to be loved, but she didn't want to be sober. Mm -hmm. And and actually, mm -hmm. going forward on that that particular scene, she got she. I won't say she got sober. She stopped drinking for two days for him. Mm -hmm. Right. She, she didn't, she didn't want him to see her drunk, mm -hmm. you know? And she, so she really was not doing it for herself. And, you know, certainly I know that anything I want to change, um, I'm generally not going to be successful at changing it until I want to do it for myself. If I think I'm doing it for somebody else, that it, the motivation is just not there for me. I mean, I think it's there, but it, it doesn't last. Um, and uh, so I think that's a, that's another difference between the those two. Um, one one was, I mean, he was really making a true amend there. And and she was just, was the I'm sorry syndrome. Kelly? Well, um, gosh. I think, you know, to me, I, I didn't really see too much of codependency as causing unhappiness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were a lot of things I think they, they could have done if they had wanted to show that. Um, you know, what I saw was a lot of, of the love side of things that, uh, you know, when he came home after getting fired for the fifth time, you know, she was still insisting that no, you do your job really well. And, you know, they just aren't seeing it. You know, I mean, she was just yeah. right there picking him up mm -hmm. um, when he fell down. And I, I also noticed that they made a lot of geographical cures. Oh, you yeah. know, they every and, and every time something went wrong, I felt like they they did something in an attempt to fix it. You know, like in the very beginning, when they were 
first starting to drink together. And then they went out and got married without telling anybody, you know, like making these sporadic decisions like, oh, you know, like sometimes when you have that little inkling in the back of your mind that something's wrong and then you just act to fix it, you know, you you don't do the three A's, you don't go through the process, you just make a decision and do something in hopes that it's going to fix the problem, you know. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I feel like I saw a lot more of the love side of things. Yeah. Actually, um, I'm thinking of two things when I'm thinking of these questions. One is, um, someone said to me once early on in the program, how could you love someone else if you don't know how to love yourself? And, um, and I think that that was a big theme in this, in this whole thing. Like Mm -hmm. if, if you're lonely with yourself, how could you be with somebody else? Right. And it seemed like a lot of, um, that, that's what I kept thinking of when I saw these scenes. Uh, there was a scene also where the husband, Joe, is about to go out and get his wife. He's sober. His wife is apparently drunk somewhere in a hotel. And uh, he was called to come and pick her up. And he happened to be with, I think, a sp- his sponsor, if I understand correctly. He, he happened to be with a sponsor at the time. And um, he, he keeps saying, you know, I love her, I love her, to his sponsor. And I... Uh, I remember hearing someone's open talk uh, not too long ago, and I remember him saying that he had he had just said the same thing to one of his friends that you know he was dating a girl and he wanted to be with her and he loved her and he wanted all these things and he kept relating his story uh, their their romance story and to his to his friend and his friend goes is that is that really love I mean that doesn't sound like love to me and at the time uh, this man happened to be not sober. This was pre-recovery for him when he was talking about his relationship and his friend was in recovery. And his friend said, is that, I don't know that that sounds like love. And um, that's something that the sponsor even mentions is, you know, you keep saying you love her, but think about it. Your entire relationship was you, her, and booze. Um, you didn't have any other foundation for your marriage. What are you going to have now, now that you're sober and she's she's drunk? So that's, that's something that definitely popped into my head is... Um, Mixing up codependency with love, mixing up the idea of codepend- of fixing the other person or drinking for the other person or whatever it is. Um, and then at the end, I, I thought, it, well, I don't know, not the end, 30 seconds before the end, before I got up to leave, um, he, uh, she, somebody mentioned this earlier that she comes two days sober to the apartment and, uh, and says all this stuff to him, says she's lonely. And he's able to say, I love you, but you can't you can't be here um, unless you're sober. And at that moment, I was like, see, that's totally different. I, I just thought that was totally different than the way he was when he was sober and she was drunk and he picked up a drink for her. Or when he was drunk and she was drunk. Or when he was drunk and she was sober. There was just a totally different thing. It seemed like he just totally accepted her as an alcoholic, accepted that that's not what was right for him. He loved himself and then he loved her. And, um, and that felt way different than... He loved the drink and then he loved her or he loved her and then he loved himself. You know, there was, I think the order matters. Yeah. You know, that, that scene where he's about to, to go off and, and get her, try to get her at this hotel where she's been drinking and, uh, his sponsor, we presume, um, loans him his car. But, uh, there was a couple of things that, you know, he was saying, I, I love her. No, she loves me. He said, she loves me. And isn't that enough? And, and 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 I wrote this line down. He says, uh, you know, this, his sponsor says, no, for her the bottle is God. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and Joe responds, I just I can't believe this is happening to me. Um, and it just you know that was 
that was, I think he was starting to see at that point, and he didn't want to believe that love was not enough to save them. Hmm. Um, the other thing I thought of with that particular scene where, you know, he eventually picks up is, is don't go on 12 step calls alone. I know. I had that <laughs> thought too. <laughs> Sponsor, let him go alone. What was he thinking? <laughs> So what about um, real versus Hollywood? I can I can definitely think of some examples of both, but do you guys have any immediate thoughts on parts of the movie that you felt like were were really true to life and parts of the movie that you felt like this would never really happen or... Well, the whole courtship. <laughs> okay, we just said how that has actually happened in my <laughs> life. <laughs> we just talked about that, Spencer. As I was watching the movie, that was how I thought about it. Okay. No, actually, I had that written down to like Spencer that I thought, well, that seemed contrived. And then when you said that at the beginning, Swayt, I thought, well, I got to cross that off. <laughs> oh, man. Glad to take it to another level for you guys. <laughs> um, I have no idea whether the detox scenes were realistic or not. It felt to me like they were <clears throat> over-dramatized, but uh, I, you know, not having been in a detox facility. And these days we got better drugs to help people like not go crazy, I guess. So I don't know. Do you have uh, anybody have any thoughts on that particular? Well, certainly, um, it, the severity of uh, delir delirium tremens is actually what he was going through. So it wasn't a simple detox, but he was actually hallucinating. Uh, certainly will vary. And I'm no medical expert, but I will say that I have seen people that crazy. Okay. Um, wow. But maybe not uh, in the sequence that he went through. Um, and maybe there's, you know, the circumstances I know of, there were mental health issues as well. And actually, but so um, I can see where it, it appeared to me to be over dramatic as well. But I think it was there for a point, and that's serious business. Yeah. Coming off of alcohol is serious business. And I but the thing is, we know that people can um, actually die right. from yeah. detoxing from alcohol. So uh, for me, I thought it seemed pretty realistic, even though I have nothing to compare it to. Just knowing what I know, it seems to me like it could have been realistic. Right. Same. I. That's what I've heard as well, that there's specific... I think someone someone in the program called it the three B's, barbiturates, booze, and something else with a B. And um, they were saying these three things, when you come off of them, it has to be in a detox facility because you could die. And yeah. if it was a near-death experience, I mean, I just, that's how I imagined mm -hmm. it before I saw this movie anyway. So that, that seemed pretty spot on I, with my wonderful imagination. I guess I've seen some non-medical detoxes that mm -hmm. were nowhere near that severe, thank God. And, and you know, the... The methods mm. of that kind yeah. of detoxing are no longer used, and that is a straitjacket mm. right. in, in a packed right. cell. So yeah. that, in that, yeah. you know, either that is dramatic, overly dramatic, or it was a sign of the times. I don't mm. know which yeah. one it was. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just outdated. I thought it was interesting that they showed his progression in terms of, uh, you know, he 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 was showing up really late to work, and then his hands were shaking, and. Like there was a really, to me, a really realistic progression um, of when he when he wasn't using, he could feel it. But for Kiersey, it was like she started drinking and then right. she just stopped and they went to the farm and she was like all of a sudden beautiful and happy again. And like she like she never had any any 
sort of detox symptoms. I don't, I don't know if that's realistic or not. I mean, I don't know. I wonder though, because at that point she hadn't been drinking as long as he had. Mm -hmm. I mean, he certainly had more of a drinking history before she started drinking. And then we do know at the end of the movie that she was in the hospital for a few days because of her drinking. So I don't know. And I guess what I would comment is everyone's a little bit different, Mm -hmm. but I think that the movie was, and correct me if I'm wrong, was setting you up a little bit. Did you think that he was going to get clean or she was going to get clean? Mm -hmm. And I guess the first time that I was watching it, I thought thought that he was going to be the one that wasn't going to make it. Hmm. Actually, when I saw it, I was, especially at that scene where they'd been sober in her father's farm for a little while. I, I, when he offered her alcohol, I thought she was going to be like, what? No, we don't need to drink anymore. We're fine. Like she was just going to be like, why would we need to do that? And I didn't think she would be an alcoholic. I guess I, I didn't read the IMDB synopsis ahead of time. (laughs) So I didn't want to cheat. Speaking of that IMDB. Okay. So Mm -hmm. false. Um, I don't, I did not see him as quote, systematically addicting her to alcohol. Well, I I saw him about that. I saw him. (laughs) Getting her to try to drink and her deciding that she enjoyed it. That's what I saw. And and then her, and from there on out, it was her progression. And and he was not systematically addicting her. That's Three just... C's, man. You can't control it. You cause again. <laughs> exactly. But I think also exactly. something that Kelly mentioned is that you didn't really see the progression of her. Dis- like she saw, you saw her take a sip and then she was drunk and setting the apartment mm-hmm. on fire. And then she was sober and she was drunk again <laughs> and she was sober again and she was drunk again. And there was no like, it was more, it seemed more like his story. And then she happened to be a very int- integral mm-hmm. part of it more so than it was about her story. And um, I don't know about systemi- systemically addicting her to booze, but I can... Definitely relate. Like when he was um, yelling and slamming things and all of that stuff, I can definitely relate to just being like, oh my God, I've got to do whatever it is to make them stop yelling so much Mm -hmm. and uh, stop making all these loud noises, stop being so violent, stop whatever. And if that means drinking, like as soon as I found a solution that would get someone to stop being angry or stop being dressed up, whatever, um, make them happy with me. I would just apply that solution indefinitely until it stopped working. It didn't even have to be that something was wrong. It was like a preemptive solution before anything could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And then when things were wrong, I'd try and find another solution. Mm-hmm. Another not really solution solution. Yeah. So I don't know if he was on purpose, like, got to hook her up to an IV of booze or anything like that. But I think that there was he there was some part that he... He played, played. a part, certainly. Yeah. But yeah, I think the fourth C played a part in it. Mm-hmm. He systematically got to that fourth C, and that was chocolate. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say contributed, but okay. She, he knew that she loved chocolate, so he hooked her up with a chocolate mm. drink. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think at that point, that's when the systematic manipulation maybe start stopped. Right. But. Yeah. Right. Any other things that stuck out to anybody in terms of seeming really realistic or really? Hollywood, if I'd. Well, the whole thing was, you know, obviously you have to compress it into two hours. Right. So um, you don't, it it didn't spend very long on any one of the stages, which it certainly in my experience lasted a lot longer. Or it Um, feels like it at the time. Feels like it's forever. I mean, again, I was really identifying with a lot of what was going on in the latter half of the film where, you know, he wants her to stop drinking and... So I guess it was realistic enough that it it triggered those feelings in me. 
Mm. You know, I can't really speak to the, the drinking part. Right. Um, well, on that note of comparing the 1960s to now, um, what I was wondering what you thought, what you guys thought about the aspects of alcoholism that the movie kind of touched on, um, both what it was trying to dispel and trying to trying to show as true. What do you guys think about that? Well, so what was what, what myths was it trying to dispel? Well, one of them, I think, came through pretty clearly that. alcoholism can strike anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, she says, I can't be an alcoholic. I'm not a bum. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and he recognizes that he is an alcoholic and he says, yeah, I look like a bum, but you know, up into that, I mean, he's still living in an apartment. He still dresses well. Um, you know, he has to look a little, little run down or we don't believe it, I suppose. But, um, you know, and that, that I felt, you know, that I, I mean, I had that feeling before I knew about what alcoholism really was. I thought, well, you can't, you know, my, my wife can't be an alcoholic. She's, she's got a job, a home, you know, happy kids. She's not drinking out of a paper bag. She can't be an alcoholic. Hmm. I thought they did a, a good job of kind of covering the idea that anybody can get sober if they're willing to do the work um, in the sense that you know, how they, how they showed the progression of his disease, as you said, Mark, you know, he, he seemed to come across as, as being a, a much worse case than her. And he was the one to get sober, um, where she couldn't really, you know, wrap her mind around it. And, and, you know, kind of like you thought, like in the beginning, like she was sort of the little innocent one. So you sort of assumed like at the end, she's going to be the one to get sober. And Yeah. Um, what about you guys? Oh. Well, and also there was a couple of things that, well, when, um, oh, the sponsor, I think it was the sponsor that said, you know, alcoholism is a disease, you mm-hmm. know, it's like they were, I felt like, um, it was an educational moment mm-hmm. for the audience, you mm-hmm. know, to let people know that it's not a matter of willpower, like, uh, Kirsten was saying, it was a matter of, you know, this is a disease, you know, she was saying, well, like we can cut down on our drinking. We'll, we'll just drink less. And I, at that point in the movie, I think Joe was able to say, no, we can't drink at all, even though he did relapse after mm-hmm. that, knowing full well that he shouldn't take that one drink. And so I think that that was very realistic. And I also think that that um, I think there is a myth among some people even today that alcoholics can drink if they just drink responsibly mm-hmm. or just just a drink here and there, or maybe someone should watch them when they drink. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I have a friend whose husband is, I don't know that he's really come to terms with his drinking. And they have an agreement, I think, between them that she will monitor his drinking and he will only drink when they go out. Mm-hmm. And it's that myth, you know, that you can control alcoholism and not really, um, not really respect that it's a disease. And you know, you, you have to, um, you have to abstain. So that, that's something that I was, uh, that caught my eye. Mark? Yeah, I think that um, one of the myths also that they were really approaching was 
the fact that women are alcoholics too. Yeah, mm. very much so. You know, it's not just an old man's disease. Right. And it can happen to someone that picks up drinking late in life as well. Mm-hmm. And mm, I think that good. came across pretty, pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we might be in denial a little bit. I think it's still prevalent today. If we look at the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, it's well over 60% men. Mm-hmm. And we know that it strikes men and women at the same, about the same rate. Mm-hmm. So there's something about stigma that prevents women from coming into the rooms and getting help. Mm-hmm. I also think that a lot, you know, again, I'm talking painting with a, with a, a broad stroke here, but I think that men come into Alcoholics Anonymous because they get DUIs. They drive, they drink and drive and maybe women don't as much. And I'm wondering about that. Hmm. I don't know. You know, when I was learning about alcoholism, it was one of the treatment centers, and and every time I would go out for like four weeks in a row, they had a a lecture. And one of the lectures was about the genetics of alcoholism and addiction, and apparently there's some very strong evidence for a male-linked form of alcoholism that is appears to be dominant. And you'll see this in a family where basically all the men are alcoholic or addicts, except for the ones who never maybe never picked up a drink Hmm. um so i think i think it's not exactly equal but i think you're absolutely right that the recognition that that women can be alcoholics is has been a long time coming and and there may still be um you know and and i know i i can only speak from my own experience that you know my loved one was not a public drinker i mean she would drink at parties um and so if you were not inside the house you didn't see it until very late in the progression of her disease, um, when it wasn't enough to just drink in the evening. And that's so dangerous, Spencer, you know, to, to, you know, that it progressed to a point that no one else could see it, but you, right. And so my point is that you can progress a long way if you, if you're sort of drinking under, under the radar. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, I was going to say, too, the other thing about um, alcoholism in women is uh, women, the composition of their body is different than men. And so women, you know, because of the, you know, we have more fat in our bodies, so we tend to absorb alcohol quicker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we saw Joe's progression seemed to be like, if, you know, in the movie, she started drinking and before you knew it, she was an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, it was, it seemed like a much quicker progression for her than for him. He'd already been drinking. And I think that, again, I think that that was probably realistic just because of what we know. And women tend to be, usually they're smaller as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't take as much alcohol for us to become intoxicated and probably not as much alcohol to move us towards alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I don't know if it's more prevalent in, in males than females, or, or if it's just more about, um, you know, body composition and, and those sorts of things. The other thing, too, was, um, you know, we were talking about the myths of um, alcoholism. I think, too, you know, that people often think if I get sober, I'm never going to have fun again. My life is over. Mm-hmm. And I like that scene where Joe says, I'm sober and I'm actually enjoying life. I I have a good apartment. I have a relationship with my daughter. I'm working. Uh, I thought that was a really good message. Right. Where he says it's the greatest. Yeah. That was really nice. I liked the part where 
I mean, I, I remember thinking when they actually showed a meeting of AA um, in the movie uh, that they made it a point to show that there were women, there were men, there yeah. were wives, there were husbands, sometimes together. There were people that looked like bums and people that looked like really insanely respectable. Mm. Um, I really liked that too. But the thing I liked the most was that they kept saying over and over again in the movie, the people in the program, I am an alcoholic. And they even kind of make it because I think I remember when I um one of my friends told me that they were an alcoholic and uh when we when we first started hanging out and I remember thinking oh okay and then and then this person said but I'm in recovery and I was like oh so he's he's all better he's good he's good everything's fine he's he was broken but now he's fixed everything's good (laughs) it totally didn't like sink in I had no idea and uh, it shows, I mean, the, his sponsor keeps saying, I am an alcoholic, you are an alcoholic, not you were, I was. And um, I think really to hit that, what really hit that point home for me was, um, I mean, in sending that message was when he was so, he'd like, he called his sponsor, he talked about his wife, and he went to go and get his wife, and he picked up a drink and he started drinking like there no time had passed. It wasn't like he started over or anything. It was literally from the last time he drank to the next time he drank. Same, you know, same effects, worse even. And uh, and it really that really hit the point home that he he is an alcoholic. He was he didn't stop being at any point just because of recovery. Uh, I was wondering if you if you kind of caught that. That's one of the things you'll hear in Alcoholics Anonymous is that the disease progresses. The disease progresses even if you stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And so. When he did relapse, it got a lot worse. His mm-hmm. symptoms got a lot worse. Yeah. And I, I think that was done for effect. That, that, I don't know if there's any scientific research behind this, Swetha, about that. But it's something that we hear about mm-hmm. a lot in the Halls of Alcoholics Anonymous is that I went back out and it was worse. Mm-hmm. Even though I stopped drinking, I picked right back up where I was. Right. I'll try to avoid doing research on alcoholism, Mark. I'm pretty sure that would be a relapse <laughs> for me. But uh, I, I like your thinking. I, I, was, I, was, I wasn't asking you to, but I know, <laughs> I know, I know you're, you're fond of research? scientific research. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most of my sentences used to start with, well, studies show that. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a myth or not, but... Um, Recently, I've had some experience in hearing that people think that alcoholics only come from bad homes. Mm. And, (laughs) and I know that, um, I, I thought they did a good job of portraying sort of how her codependency came from her father losing it after her mother died. And how, you know, in the beginning of the movie, she was just always upbeat and bubbly and everything was beautiful and great, like overcompensating almost for the misery that mm. she had before. Um, but but I, I did appreciate the fact that although she ended up an alcoholic, that she didn't come from an alcoholic home or that mm. it, it didn't have to be, you know, dire straits. Yeah, I remember that scene where everybody in her apartment was mad at her and she just closes the door and laughs it off. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there thinking, wait, she needs to like go and buy presents for people and, make them <laughs> better and apologize door to door. Yeah. Anyways, did you have a, another question, Kelly? On Well, I guess I'll pick up on that a little bit. I mean, okay, that, yeah. that, that analogy of they're spraying for roaches and it 
it stirred everything up and everybody became upset. That can help happen in an alcoholic family too. One person gets sober mm -hmm. and it stirs a lot of things up and there's mm -hmm. chaos and no one's happy. Oh, wow. I didn't even see that as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Wow. We're so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, the realistic nature of the sponsor? Jim? Is that his name? Jim? Yeah. Do you guys, did you guys feel like he, he was a pretty realistic character? I thought he'd be a great Al-Anon sponsor because he was just kind of like, this is the deal. <laughs> what you got to do? You're going to go screw yourself? There's the door. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Mark, can you comment to that? Well, I, I think that the dramatic portrayal of that sponsorship was effective. Here's someone that's that is working, that is NAA, is responsible, looks good, and is able to communicate with the alcoholic on his level. So I think on, on all those aspects, it was spot on. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you picked up on that, letting Joe, his sponsee, go off on a what we call the 12-step call to his wife mm -hmm. by himself was irresponsible. He did, oh. <laughs> he did you know, provide a warning mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, my, it's probably not a good idea, but you know, today, I, I, I think that that was one aspect of sponsorship that might have been a little bit irresponsible. But maybe I'm being codependent on that too. You know? How does it generally happen today in the in the AA program? Like, what would how would that have played out differently in the AA program as you perceive it today? If you're going to go to find her in a hotel, well, this happened mm -hmm. just recently with me. Mm -hmm. But if okay, Joe, mm -hmm. if you need to go find your wife, we know she's drinking. I'm coming with you. No questions. You know, this is what's going to happen. You, you know, you can't go alone because maybe she's having too much fun. And if the fact was she wasn't having too much fun. She was in misery and he wanted to maybe ease that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, that's, that's my thoughts. And if he resists, if the, if the, if Joe had resisted, just what, I mean. Well, you can't stop somebody from going. Uh -huh. you but know. you could not give him the car. That's true. He yeah, did hand him his okay. car. Another <laughs> Never mind. Good point, I take it back. Terrible Alan on sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to decide would I give anyone my car? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's different in Al Anon, yeah. but. I think they kind of tell you not to give people your car yeah. in Al Anon from the get go. <laughs> this is your problem. You're handing people your car keys. Don't give them any stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you didn't, you didn't see the other aspects of the sponsor role. It, really happening um that was all off camera i guess the point yeah. where he introduces joe as the speaker of the night i mean that's a, a sponsor kind of saying hey you're ready to step up and mm -hmm. and be out in front and tell your story and and i'm i was looking at that meeting and that's that's sort of the old style meeting huh where most of the people are sitting there they're not talking mm -hmm. and uh, and and people are getting up in front and talking is that is that, that is my understanding that? as well spencer and that idea that you don't speak for a very significant long period of time at meetings until you're ready. That was the first time he addressed the crowd was four months in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the part where the sponsor was, his sponsor was like leading him into a meeting, presumably not his first meeting from what I understood. And, um, he, he called him on his shit. You know, this guy, uh, Joe is like, Oh, I, you know what? I need a cigarette. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, let's, let's finish the cigarette. And his sponsor's like, are you nervous? And he goes, no, this, Shade of green is my natural complexion. Um, and uh, that wasn't my joke. That was the joke in the movie. I don't want to take credit for that. But um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that was, I mean, I liked how the sponsor like called him on his stuff. And um, 
I, I definitely think that my sponsor has done that for me a lot of times. Um, he's called me on, on stalling or being dishonest or turning her into my higher power or any number of things. And I think that that was really important. I wish they had kind of talked more about that in the, in the movie is, um, what sponsorship, how sponsorship really plays a role as opposed to just some random guy coming in for five minutes and telling you he's been 14 years sober and you shouldn't go see your wife, but here's the car key, you know, like, (laughs) and they never actually identified him as a sponsor. I mean, I think we all knew that, but if you, if you had never been to a meeting, I don't know that you would understand his role necessarily. I think also, I don't know if this is true. I've just, I have no idea. I've heard that sponsorship was different back in the day also like is that is that right i mean from what i have heard it's that somebody had to sponsor you for you to come to a meeting like say yep this person definitely qualifies let's bring him on into the fold yeah you know Swetha, i'm not sure i I don't know all the history i mean when the big book was written sponsorship wasn't mentioned exactly the first time uh, sponsorship came into literature was in 1950 in the 12 and 12 Mm -hmm. so this would have been 10 years in which would have been significant enough but i think the movie may have tried to avoid using recovery speak when he did amends he never said the word amends right uh you know he didn't talk about inventory but Probably he did, you know, and so um, maybe it was some of that. If you if you start introducing this language, you might get lost. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know though. Yeah. No, that's true. And and I thought about that. You know, he didn't say amend. He said, "I want to make this right." And what would you say if you when you go into somebody who has no experience with the program and to make amend? I mean, you wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm coming to do nine step amends with you." I mean, no, you wouldn't say that, right? You say, "You <laughs> know, um, maybe you'd say, I want to I want to make some things.'" right that I did in the past or whatever. Um, I mean, that's, um, that's a good point. I think he says, I want to square things with you. Square things with you. That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like that. Um, Anna, did you have anything to say about, about that, about how sponsorship was portrayed? Um, I really don't have too much to add. I honestly, the only thought that came into my head as I watched the movie, and this might be so inappropriate. um, Yeah, we like inappropriate. But the only thing I thought was that it almost seemed like the sponsor had no life, you know, like he was Hmm. just there. But again, we didn't, you know, we didn't get to see his life. We don't know anything more about him. Like someone said here that he, he just showed up on the scene and there he was. We, We don't know where he came from or... Well, he, he came you know. to the rehab facility and said, I'm from Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, yeah. I kind of liked that about the movie because I remember when I was first, I mean, when I was first in the program, I remember my sponsor gave me a little backstory, but for the most part, her life was not like, it, I wasn't there to be her friend. She was yeah. there to be my sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I think that was I, maybe a subtle point, mm-hmm. but it wasn't important what his life was. It was more about Joe and his life. I think. Yeah. I, I think we have a question in the chat room. Um, yeah, I think this is Christine um, in the chat room. And she says, um, I've been in that situation where my husband asked me to try his drug with him so that he would not mm. be alone. Mm-hmm. I told him he was crazy. I don't know the movie that you all are talking about, but a ton of what you're saying seems to have been there. That seems like I have been there. So mm. I, it's more of a comment than a question, I guess. But um, yeah, just talking to the realism. I guess I can... St- say that I, I wish I had been in that place. I mean, uh, of, of being able to say no. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I have the experience when I go to an open talk where I have the realization that I've done more drugs than the person on stage. <laughs> and that's a little bit frightening. And, you know, I'm, I'm 
pretty confident that I don't qualify for AA or NA, but I did a lot of things that I never would have done out of codependence because I, I felt like in the name of the relationship, I needed to get high, you know, and that's not a good way to go. Christine, what <laughs> I would say is, um, what you experience there is the loneliness of use. The loneliness of addiction is that you are, tr you are so all by yourself and you know, no other way to exist that you reach out to your loved one for help in this very sick way. Mm -hmm. And, and actually this, this very thing was portrayed in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so your experience was, was, was demonstrated in the, in the movie and we experienced that as well. When, when, uh, Kirsty is saying drink with me at the hotel room. Hmm. Yeah. And in the beginning, mm -hmm. when, when, when Joe wanted, he wants her to drink with him. You're yeah. right. Absolutely. That's true. So what, what, about the codependent experience in the movie, would you guys have liked to see more detail on? Like, I think I mentioned earlier something about, I think, the sponsorship aspect of it, that I would have liked to see a little bit more detail on that. I remember thinking personally that I wished there was a little bit more detail about, I think we also touched on this a little bit, a little bit more detail about a relationship, step three, a relationship with a higher power, as opposed to saying mm -hmm. love is the solution. I mean, and, and proving that wrong, but it seemed like they were doing a really good job of talking about the issues behind it but not necessarily being, they're a little bit more ambiguous about the solution. Um, yeah. What about, what do you guys think, Kelly? I don't know if it's, if it's necessarily <laughs> totally addressing this question or not, but so they had this baby and then they show the, the baby maybe, I don't know. I'm not really good with ages, but maybe like four, three or four. Still in the crib. And then all of a sudden the kid completely disappears from the movie mm -hmm. for like, a half an hour <laughs> yeah. and the whole time I'm trying to pay attention to the movie and I keep thinking, where is the kid? Like yeah. what is happening to this kid right now? With the codependent. The, the grandfather. Pops, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, they sort of mentioned that much later on, but um, they didn't really address. I feel like how, and maybe it just wasn't appropriate for the times. Maybe it would be more appropriate now. But how having the child sort of change the dynamic and what that meant to the relationship and how they couldn't care for her. They mm. sort of didn't really address that issue. Right. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, codependence relative to that. But mm -hmm. yeah. hmm. uh, For me, seeing maybe, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, we don't really see how he gets from the... I need you with me enough that I'm going to pick up again to where he is at the end of the movie. Um, and, and I don't think that was the point of the movie. I mean, I understand as a dramatic element, but um, I mean, that's a hard journey. That is not something that happens <laughs> from one scene to the next. And, but it seemed like it did. To, I was totally to expecting extent. them to be like, and this is an Al-Anon meeting, everybody. And he <laughs> went in and now he's better and not, <laughs> You know, co-signing co his um, his wife's uh, drinking. Did you, and Mark and Anna, did you guys have any thoughts on ex parts of the codependent experience you wish there was more information about in the movie or anything you wish there was more information uh, about? Well, I thought the whole lack of even a mention of Al-Anon was maybe a little scandalous. No, uh, <laughs> because there were <laughs> because there were opportunities. There mm. were so many codependents there. Now, I, I know a movie can only do so much mm -hmm. but um if you're doing taking such an effort to educate the public because 
quite frankly, I think that's what this was. Because I think they got a lot of the aspects of the program right. Yeah. The way me, the, the meeting format, the opening statement of an Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. meeting. Yeah. Um, the they, slogans. Yeah. Oh, the slogans on the wall. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, they could have thrown you a bone a little bit, you know, on the outside, uh, because there's, there's, there's hope there, there is, there is recovery, um, for the codependent as well. And that was a message that was loud and clear in 1962. I think it could have been done. So as the timekeeper here, I want to say we're nearing the, the end of our time. Um, I would like to hear some of us address the last question. Is the movie mm. hopeful? Mm. And, and I, the ending is not happy, but for me it is hopeful because at least two of those people have found their life, have found their life back mm. and, and have a chance to go on and, and live a, you know, sober, happy life. Mm. Um, so there's hope there. I think not just considering the ending, because like you said, we don't necessarily want to spoil it if people are listening to this and haven't watched it yet, but um, I think there is some hope in the fact that although Joe falls off the wagon after his first attempt, that he he keeps going. He he finds his way back, and even even after the major relapse with her in the motel, he still finds his way back. And to me, that was a hopeful message that you can recover even if it doesn't go perfectly the first time. And and as I certainly know, re, uh, relapse, while it doesn't have to be part of recovery, it is often part of the process of finding recovery mm. and that, yeah, you pick up and you keep going and, and you still have hope just because you fell down once doesn't mean you, you give up hope. Mark, do, do you, how do you, how do you see this? I'm a man of hope. Um, <laughs> I, I am going to see hopeful situations everywhere. There's recovery and recovery is everywhere. And so certainly I'm hopeful for Deb, the daughter, and certainly I'm hopeful for Joe, her father, and I'm hopeful for the other characters as well. Um, I don't, I might spoil this movie a little bit. We're not too sure about Kirsty, but it's not, we don't know what, what road, what path she chooses. Um, so I'm hopeful. And I think there's hope too, when you see that um, the sponsor said, I can't remember if it was 12 years drinking, 14 yep. sober. Mm -hmm. So right there, there was hope because I don't think it was an accident that the years sober were longer than the years drinking. Mm -hmm. I thought that the um, the ending of, well, based on what people told me the ending of the movie was, <laughs> I thought it was uh, it was just realistic. It was like, it just showed that it's not all, um, it's not all unicorns and dandelions. Mm -hmm. And it, on the other hand, it's not that... Inevitably, you're going to relapse and get drunk and die. Um, it just—it seems to just show that there's always a choice. So I just felt like it was just really realistic and not like super pumping people up, like always mm -hmm. going to be okay, everything's going to have happy endings, or really like hitting this point home of there's no such thing as sobriety. Like, you guys are all going to die. It was just a realistic ending of some people get sober and some people don't, and you. You make the choice. You have to want it bad enough, and that's that. You know, the slogan that comes into my head as I think about the ending of the movie is one day at a time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. He keeps saying that, I remember, mm -hmm. before I left. And and I just want to add on to what I said because I found a definition of hope in Al-Anon which is different from the way I understood it before I, before I came into recovery, which is that 
hope admit of the possibility of change. Um, it doesn't say things are going to work out, but that they don't have to not work out. If you, and that to me at the time, um, my loved one was still drinking. There did not seem to be an end in sight, but I knew that there was, it was possible. Uh, it was possible that, 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 that we, she could find sobriety and that, that was enough to, to keep me going. And, you know, we still have that possibility in the movie. All right. After a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And uh, I think Mark is going to introduce our first song selection. Lori McKenna is the artist. Um, she's one of my favorite artists. Um, folk style, uh, coming out of Boston, Massachusetts, of all places. Um, nice. She knows maybe a little bit too much about <laughs> recovery in her songs. There are certain songs that she has produced that are songs about Andrew and my relationship. And so I'm, I have a real fondness for her. Now, this particular song has a twist to it, just like the movie that we just watched. Maybe it had a little bit of a twist to it. Well, I've been thinking While you've been drinking Yeah, I know thinking is the last thing your mind that I've been hoping to get this out in the open and hoping we ain't running out of time the book I've been reading says we need to work this out we need to talk if we've got on I think I've got a drinking problem In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Uh, Spencer, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I went to a meeting Sunday night. Actually, Sunday was, was a, a busy day for me. Uh, went to church in the morning to actually a service that I was I, I was not planning to go to. It was a guest um, minister preaching, and I'm really glad I went. Um doesn't have anything to do with recovery, but it, it really um, was an inspiring talk that he gave. And um, then in the afternoon, we had an uh, anniversary potluck picnic for uh, one of our meetings. And it that's always, those kind of things are always good for me because I get to sort of, um, you know, talk to people who I see at meetings and get to know them a little bit as people outside of the context of a meeting, but we're still all in recovery. And so we all have that language and we all have that, you know, that way of relating. And, and then uh, the, the picnic also included uh, a, uh, an open talk by one of the members of the meeting who had been chosen by um, election. And that was a really, uh, really good talk. Um, and, and in fact, um, the speaker talked about um, finding forgiveness for his father um, for things that his father had done in the past and and I am struggling with figuring out um, how to make amends for things that I did to my children uh, in the past that they may not remember or they might um, and so afterwards I said how how did you find forgiveness for these things that um, some people would consider unforgivable and 
what he told me was I, I was able to see my father as a fallible human being who was doing the best he could with what he had at the time. And the be his best was not very good then. And I said, well, you know, I did these things that I knew was wrong. He said, yeah, but you didn't know how to do anything differently. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can take that. So I went to the meeting Sunday night and I came in prepared. Uh, I had my courage to change because we always open that meeting with a reading from courage to change. And I found a reading, which actually was from like two days later, I think it was Tuesday about forgiveness. And that would have been Tuesday, the 15th of October, if uh, anybody wants to look it up. And I said, I'd like to talk about forgiveness and I want to, I want to open with this reading. And so, and then I talked about, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to, for, I'm trying to find forgiveness for myself because I don't think I can really effectively make amends for what I've done until I've forgiven myself for what I did. And I, and I said, I don't really have any answers here. I have questions. And, and there was some really, really deep sharing around the table on that topic. And it was very helpful for me. Um, and, you know, this was a case where, yeah, you go to a meeting and you hear what you need to hear. And this is a case where I went to a meeting saying, I, I need to hear something about this and not necessarily knowing whether I was going to get anything, but I did. And um, I think that's that was sort of the recovery highlight of my week. Uh, Anna, what about you? Well, I was just at a meeting this morning, actually, and um, my favorite meeting. And we were, uh, the topic at our table was step four, made a searching and uh, fearless and searching moral inventory. And it was interesting because, you know, it seemed to me the consensus around the table tended to be that a lot of people either hadn't done one yet or were in the process, but a lot of people were saying, you know, that there was a lot of fear attached to that for them. And I've done a couple of fourth steps and, um, what I, what I was able to, um, reflect on today after being in the program more than 10 years was, um, I can finally see how the program has really softened my rough edges. I used to be very um, kind of this global thinker, all or nothing, black and white. Um, there wasn't a whole lot in the middle. And um, so that can be hard, I think, in relationships, you know, not just in relationships with others, but in relationship with myself. And so, um, you know, today I can see that I have more of an ability to um, to sit with what's in the middle. It doesn't have to be, it's either this or it's that. It's possible that there's something more in the middle for me to look at. And um, so again, I see that reflected in my relationships today. You know, I, I, I find myself um, more able to to go with the flow, to see different aspects of things. You know, like I find in the Blueprint for Progress, the fourth step book that um, we have in Al-Anon, there's a lot of questions in there. It's a big book and it can be intimidating, I think, to a lot of people. But it also will ask many questions about the same thing. And I think it kind of teaches you to look at things from, from many different perspectives. And uh, so that's something from the program that has really um, helped me. And this morning's meeting 
Oh, just just highlighted that for me and helped me to see where I was and where I am today and and hopeful of where I have yet to go. That's great. Um, Mark, what about you? Last Wednesday, um, Vision for You is, is the meeting I go to on Wednesday nights. And that day, Wednesday, um, it was a difficult day for me. I was stuck in my head and I knew I needed a meeting. And uh, so I went downstairs and once again, it's a big ass meeting. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I know a few people, I'm, get, I'm getting to know a few more people, but um, the, leader, the leader of that meeting uh, came up to me and said, hey, Mark, how are you doing? And so this is my opportunity to unload a little bit. And I said, yeah, I'm really having a tough time. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, yeah, how about if you lead next week? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> can't, can't you see I'm, I'm dying here? And that's your, and that's your answer for me, right? Really? Oh, and you know what? I can totally done? see that, Mark, actually. It worked. Yeah. The speaker that night was talked about grief and recovery. Mm-hmm. And... In my mind, I'm thinking about what it is I'm going to maybe want to talk about next week and give me an opportunity to see that there are blessings in my life. And so you see, the, the, the person uh, knew that if I took my mind off myself and put my mind on recovery, that I had a shot. And uh, it worked. It worked for me. And that's why I desperately need, you know, people of recovery around me all the time, because by myself, I'm very vulnerable. Um, the other thing that happened to me, let's see, meetings Thursday. Uh, my home group is Canton Candlelight. Um, we meet at 10 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you're in the Canton area and need a meeting in the late evening, stop by. We'd love to see you. Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, that is. Um, so that was a great meeting, too. Not for the meeting during the meeting, so to say, but the meeting before the meeting because I got a chance to spend some time with Kyle. I don't know if you've met Kyle. Kyle is uh, is one of the co-hosts on our show, The Recovered Podcast, and he's a brand new dad. Yeah. And he yeah. showed me pictures of his his new child, his new baby, Aww. and how proud he is, and how much his life has changed. <laughs> and this is all pure gift of the program that this this guy was able to to find recovery, get a job put himself in position to be present, you know, present to this precious thing that is now a reality in his life. And so it was, it's pretty awesome to see, um, see the program work in such a, such a tangible way. Mm-hmm. Kelly, I guess I'm next. Go yep. around the table. Yep. I set myself up to be last. Did you see that? That <laughs> was good job. Tactical. I see what you did there. <laughs> Um, so I went to a meeting last night, Friday, and um, the topic was, uh, I'm going to get my book here, Tradition 10, which is uh, Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. And uh, a lot of people were relating the topic um, not as much to meetings they go to, but more to their personal life and, and how um, it was a lot of family talk, how controversy in family makes adds to the chaos and how a lot of us have sort of come to this discovery that um, we can stay out of the chaos. We can choose to not engage and we can choose to not make it worse that, that sometimes, you know, doing nothing is the best option. So it was a great meeting. Um, there were several newcomers and um, there were 32 people there last night. 
Is that the biggest that meeting has been? I believe I so. And the only reason I, I bring that up is that I also went to the potluck that Spencer went to on Sunday. And it was for the fifth anniversary of that Friday night meeting. And um, I was one of the found, am one of the founders of that meeting. And I remember when we first started, there were some times when it was just two people that would show up. And for weeks on end, it was only two people. And a lot of us thought like, oh my God, this is never going to take off. This meeting sucks. No one wants to come here. You know, Al-Anon talk. And um, <laughs> so, it, you know, it was it was humbling to go to the potluck and see so many faces of people that I love and that I've grown to know over the years and who have become such an important part of my life. I mean, it was it's a really nice opportunity to celebrate with them. But it was also amazing just to see so many people show up who know nothing about that meeting. You know, maybe they just found it online or whatever. Um, hopefully someone suggested it to them. <laughs> That's what I like to tell myself. But but it's it's great to know that it's we, there for people. Swayka? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. My week, I, uh, I went to the Wednesday night meeting, and the topic there was the fourth and fifth step, um, which, which Anna mentioned earlier. And uh, it was it was really funny. Someone um, someone was mentioning after the meeting that they up, up until like three minutes before the meeting ended, they hadn't it hadn't hit them that they needed to do a fourth step on a situation. And I was like, oh, you know, people, right? And then <laughs> two days later, I was like, shit, I need to do a fourth step. I've been meaning I've been needing to do a fourth step for the past like two months. This is, this is nuts. Um, but it was a really good it was a really good meeting and having people in my life that remind me that, hey, you know, when something's, something's wrong, I, I need to do a fourth step. And just setting that example was just, that was like, that was mind blowing. It was really, really big. And, um, yeah, so I just recently did a fourth step using the fourth step Excel analyzer formula lovers. You're going to love this. <laughs> this is like the best thing. They have pie charts, they have graphs, they have your eighth step list written out for you. It's on, uh, it's on recoveredcast.com and you should, you should definitely check it out. Um, but Thanks, I, Weta. that's a shout out to recovered cast. <laughs> 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 and, um, and yeah, I did a, I did a fourth step and then I, I called someone and, uh, and talked about it and, uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm all up in my head about the situation. And I'm like, that's great. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like you have boundary issues, codependent person. Why don't you go ahead and set those boundaries? And I was like, yep, there it is <laughs> right there. Slightly different from my, my sponsor's response, which is fourth step, pray, meditate, and jump straight to, you know what the problem is <laughs> still. <laughs> and uh, that was really nice. And just having someone to talk it through with and have that support. It's been amazing. Now I actually have to set the boundary eventually soon, <laughs> hopefully ish. And, uh, and that's that, <laughs> that was my week. A uh, shout out for my higher power an Excel analyzer pie charts and now, uh, pending boundary setting situation. The end. <laughs> oh, our topic next week will be step 10, which states continue to take personal inventory where we were wrong and promptly admitted it. I have to do that too later, by the way. <laughs> That's also pending. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience and questions about step 10. 
Do you struggle to admit that you were wrong in the moment? Have you found an effective way to take the daily inventory? How do you feel about admitting your wrongs? What exactly does this step mean by promptly? <laughs> Good question. Do you feel better when you make a 10-step amends? Um, if any of these questions speak to you, or you really like step 10, or you really don't like step 10, feel free to jump in to our podcast next week. Kelly, how can people send us feedback? I like that we left them a loophole question. What exactly do they mean by promptly? Like, you know, if it doesn't qualify as promptly, you don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one I was counting on a little bit, actually. Um, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. And we do love to hear from you. Please share with us your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's discussion of the movie Days of Wine and Roses, or next week's topic of Step 10. And also, if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know that as well. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, Kelly, that would be at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. And it has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode. It has links to the music we play and some that we haven't played. And a blog with daily meditations. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. You can receive updates by email when we post meditations and other content. Just click on the by email link at the top of the page to sign up. And there are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. Uh, for example, you can leave comments on the blog. Um, you could suggest a topic, as uh, as Kelly said. Uh, we're always looking for music suggestions, and in fact, uh, incorporated uh, a couple of music suggestions from our listeners into this episode. And uh, yeah, so just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Kelly, do we have any uh, voicemails or emails or comments this week? We definitely do. But first, we're going to listen to, was this a listener-suggested song? Oh, that one's mine. Oh, okay. So this is Werewolf by Fiona Apple. And um, it just, to me, when I looked through the lyrics and listened to it, it just really spoke to the chaos of being in a relationship with, um, with someone who is active in their alcoholism or addiction. Yeah, in fact, it was the one that got cut from the list for last week's episode on chaos. Ah, yes. I could liken you to a werewolf the way you left me for dead But I admit that I provided a full moon And I could liken you to a shark the way you bit off my head But then again I was waving around a bleeding open wound But you were such a super guy Till the second you get away from me We're like a wishing well And a bolt of electricity But we can still support each other All we gotta do is avoid each other Nothing wrong when a song ends in the minor key Nothing wrong when a song ends in the minor key Under the sea 
We would like to start by thanking Scotty for sending us a meditation on acceptance. And uh, now I'm going to read an email from Diane. She writes, great episode on boundaries. Thanks. Love the leading tower of Swetha image and also <laughs> visualizing her materializing in a Star Trekish kind of way in a space between people. <laughs> I actually was thinking of that also when I said that comment. Who are you? Oh, yeah. Star Trek? Heck yeah. Deep Space <laughs> Nine, son. Anyway. <laughs> That sounded almost cool, right? Um, before the three A's, Mark mentioned anxiety, agitation, and anger. Oh, I mentioned anxiety. Agitation and anger came to mind as well in a similar alliterative mode. Uh, read the next episode. Uh, heard in the rooms or literature, drama and chaos are a poor substitute for intimacy. So true. I went to a meeting this, uh, this AM on the topic of fear. Great discussion. Don't think you guys have done that one yet. In recovery, Diane. Thanks so Thanks much for a lot, email, Diane. Diane. Oh, man, fear. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've been Could avoiding been that feelings. one. Could have been feelings, Kelly. <laughs> We're going to talk about feelings someday. I am busy that day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, out of town. We um, also got an email from Ruth with some topic ideas. Um, she's, she's not in the chat room today, is she? It's a different mm-hmm. Ruth, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. So Ruth says, Hey, recovery friends, my husband and I have been listening to your shows together as we travel. We have enjoyed talking about the shows as we go and have come up with a few possible show topics. One, acting out of guilt, pity, or obligation. Two, ego, the good, the bad, and the ugly. When are we acting out of our ego? And three, advocating for children in an alcoholic home. So much of Al-Anon is about how we are to act as a person, but when should we draw the lines and act when children are involved? It's a great question. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, she continues, I just want to say a huge thank you for all that you do. It has made a big difference in my recovery. I feel like these are the discussions that don't get to happen in meetings, but are so important to have the meeting after the meeting, so to speak. On a side note, my husband is starting to listen as well. He has never entered into recovery program for a number of reasons. However, the podcasts are a non-threatening way for him to learn about the program. It's great to see his higher power working through you guys and your amazing work. Ruth T. And I just have to say that um, what to do when there are children in the home was something I struggled with. And and I don't know that I found good answers, but it's definitely a good discussion to have. Sounds like maybe a round table or something for that one. Definitely. Uh, Mark, looks like we got something from Becky. Okay, Becky wrote, I've been listening to your podcasts for about three months now and am blessed by them. My 19-year-old son is an alcoholic and an addict who is currently in treatment at his second facility this year. I truly appreciate being able to go to a meeting whenever I want to and wherever I am. I especially enjoy listening to your podcast while getting ready for work in the morning and while exercising. Thank you for all you do. Thank thank you to all of you who give of your time and talents to make this show happen. Please keep doing what you're doing. It's making a difference. Gratefully, Becky. And and Becky, I guess I, I would comment a little bit on this, if you don't mind, um, that you know, we, we'd experienced that too with our son uh, going to multiple you know, treatment facilities in one year. And I guess I would try to just encourage you to take that time while he's in facility to take care of yourself. Go to plenty of meetings and to really work a recovery program while he's gone. Because if you're anything like us, you might look for chaos when the chaos isn't there. 
Uh, and I think uh, Car Carol, is that how you pronounce it? Carol sent a short note as well. And Carol writes, good morning all. Hope you are well today. I just watched a three-minute trailer of each of the movies, Train Spotting and Days of Wine and Roses. And I would like it if the movie I, let's see, and I would like it if the movie you watched and discussed was Days of Wine and Roses. Ding, ding, well, ding, ding. excellent. <laughs> Us too. Good luck with either movie you choose. I personally will be watching the movie as well. Oh, great. I had never heard of either one, and both seem interesting. Thank you for all you do with the podcast, Carol. Yeah. Good and, suggestion, uh, Carol. Yeah, I really good suggestion. And, and thank, you for, thank you for writing in. We were actually despairing of, of hearing from any of our listeners with a preference. So we're glad you, we, we were glad you chimed in. We got a couple of new iTunes reviews this, uh, this time, uh, both five stars. Yay, still perfect. Uh, one uh, by Firstborn. It was wonderful, amazing, perfect, fabulous, insightful. I like those adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. I love it. And I know I need it, since I can't make meetings as often as I should for my inner peace. Much love and respect to you. And then, uh, it, this doesn't come through on the podcast, but there were five different color hearts in the review. <laughs> um, somebody's figured out how to use emoji in iTunes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Sydney from Australia, uh, titled Great Help. Hi, guys. I've only been listening to your show for a few weeks now, but it's awesome. Whenever I feel like I don't know what to do, I just listen to your podcast. Thank you, Chris. So, Chris, Sydney, I don't know, whatever. Um, and uh, just, uh, you know, the iTunes reviews and ratings, uh, if they keep coming in, they help to make us easier to find by those who are in need and seeking recovery. And I know we hear from people who've just found us by looking in iTunes. They were like, just look, I don't know exactly what... You know, you type in recovery or something, and what, what you know, we pop up, recovered pops up, I think. And, uh, you know, we're glad that, that people can find us because uh, that's what we're here for. Okay. Um, we're looking ahead to our first anniversary podcast at the beginning of December. It's pretty amazing to me that we've been doing this for almost a year. And our topic for that that podcast will be my story. And what we would like to do is include your story in the podcast, and we'd like to include as many of your voices and stories as we can, and we encourage you to tell us your story in five to ten minutes to, to be included into the podcast. There are a number of different ways you can share our story. Uh, there's a post on the website that actually lists them out, but a, a couple, uh, you can put it in an email and send it to us, and we'll have somebody read it, if, and that's particularly good if maybe you don't like your voice or you want to be able to think about it uh, you know, and rewrite it. Uh, I know I do that. Uh, and uh, a five to ten minute talk would be about five hundred to a thousand words. You can record your voice using your smartphone, like using a voice memo app on the iPhone, and then you could email it or upload it to something like Dropbox for us. Uh, you could call our voicemail number, but you get limited to three minutes there, so you have to call back a few times if you you know want to tell a longer story. Uh, the voicemail button on the website works too, but that one limits you to ninety seconds at a time, so you gotta. Um, I like that one because I can record the 90 seconds and then say, oh, man, that sucked. And I can just erase it and, and record it again before I actually send it. Um, lets me get do-overs. I like that. And uh, and there's some other, other possibilities. So uh, we really do want to hear from you. And a number of you have written to us and saying that you're really considering doing it. And we want to encourage you to keep considering it and actually stop considering it and do it. Okay. Oh, and uh, however you do it, we would love to hear your story for the first anniversary podcast. Uh, I already did this, but since it's so awesome, I'm going to go ahead and mention RecoverCast again. <laughs> They're our sister show. Um, and as I understand it, it has more of an AA perspective to it. Um, in order to 
listen to Recovered Past. You can Recovered Cast, not Recovered Past, sorry. That's for the ones that relapsed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You should go to recoveredcast.com and uh, you can listen to their blogs. And you could also listen live, which is really, really fun to do. Um, And you can listen live as we're recording as well. Just click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page. While listening, you can interact with us and other listeners in the chat room. To get there, click on the little speech bubble at the bottom edge of the player. We're planning to record our next episode on Sunday, October 27th at 11.30 a.m. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run about 40... Actually, let me take a moment and just say it's 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, just for people... No, clearly. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run about $40 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button in the website where you can support us directly, just like Diane and Becky did. We would like to give a special shout out to Becky, who set up a monthly donation with PayPal. Becky, we will be thanking you monthly. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, you will receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon and use the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We're here for you. Spencer, what's the show or what's the song we're closing the show with? Hey, we're going to close with If the Law Don't Want You by Nora Jones. This was suggested by one of her listeners who said that she hears the song as uh, talking about always choosing the bad boy. And that was certainly what she did in her life. And and I felt it, you know, sort of connected to the movie and that, you know, he does pull her into drinking. So here we go. I love to see them straw dogs round my Come sneaking round my skirt tail looking for more If you ain't running from the past You ain't making my heart beat fast You ain't chugging your paycheck You ain't hugging on my neck Well I've been looking for trouble from again Them cowboys back where I come from won't quit Cutting up tires on an oyster shell Siren screaming and it's running like hell Mama's on the front porch staring him down Ladies at the beauty shop coming unwell If the Lord hope Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems are, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. I hired that boy to cut my grass. Nailed in a shingle, but he couldn't get past. Staring at the bottom of his low slung pants. He says he's gonna take me to the big buck dance. Well, if the Lord don't want you, neither do I.